also got a notification from the uh, trash collection company that we put out too much trash this week. We missed last week, but also both daughters had birthdays. Um, and so, you know, you have a lot of like wrapping paper and stuff like that. Reed, I'm surprised you guys don't like compost. I mean, isn't that your hipster country living way? No, no, we're not. We're not hipster at all. We just literally live in the country. Hey everyone, welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we're going to dive deep on a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. Put your hands together, everybody. Here are your hosts, Reed Smith and Chris Boyer. All right, and welcome and special thank you. As you may have noticed, that is a new, not a new intro, but a new recording of the intro. And so special thank you, special, special thank you to Michael Vinsky. He's an award-winning writer, actor, in wedding officiant. So like he has just a, a numerous things he does. Also works in the industry with Chris and I. You can learn a little bit more about him at michaelvinsky.com and that's V E N S K E Michael spelled as you would imagine. michaelvinsky.com. Look forward to some other fun intros in the future because he he gives a little talent of his different vocal stylings yes yes there are some good ones in there so stay tuned Uh, more to come he gave us quite a few to choose from and um Mm -hmm. they're good we'll tease that out just a little bit so uh, i am reed smith he's chris boyer Uh, you can track chris down on the interwebs at christopherboyer.com at chris boyer on all the social channels and follow along as he uh, works with hospitals and many other healthcare organizations around the country on all things digital. How's it going? Pretty good, Reed. Good to talk to you today. We're getting into the holiday season. That's Reed Smith over there on the other side of the microphone. He is a digital marketing specialist, expert, works with hospitals, health systems, a lot of other healthcare companies across the country, doing similar things to what I do, digital strategy, social media, customer journey mapping, etc. He's also very prolific on social platforms. You can track him down with at Reed Smith on Twitter and LinkedIn. Not the law firm. Um, you can also find him through his website, socialhealthinstitute.com. Maybe on Reed. Twitter I should change my name to read not a law firm Smith. I may, yes. I may actually do that. If y'all hear me typing in the background, that's me changing my name on Twitter. That's great. That would be awesome. And since there's no character limitation on Twitter anymore, I think you're okay having that long name there, Reed. Reed, before we uh, jump into the episode today, we want to do a special shout out to our friends over at Loyal. For most consumers searching for healthcare providers, it's it's very frustrating. It's a maze, bewildering choices, unanswered questions, goes on and on. They want to hear from other patients and what other patients have to say in order to make their decisions with confidence. And Loyal Health's Empower Solution has some of the tools to do just that. Uh, Really help the patient be empowered, maximizing star ratings while introducing deeper insights into what patients are really saying about their experience. And it allows patients to kind of sort 
look at patient reviews in a very pragmatic, practical way to get them to really find the way to their care. And if this is uh, something that you're struggling with or would like to take a look at, it is super easy, fast to integrate with your website and even your electronic health records. So imagine that. To see Empower in action, schedule a demo over at loyalhealth.com slash empower. Again, that's our friends over at loyalhealth.com slash empower. Today, we're going to be tackling a difficult subject, or maybe a subject that's not too difficult for us. It's one that near and dear to my heart, as you know, but it's proven to be very difficult to do, and that is really measuring ROI or return on investment in, in healthcare. I can tell you why it's so hard. It's because, um, and maybe we can get this out of the way up front, like we always do, to define what ROI is. Mm-hmm. Because I think here, here's the problem. When you say ROI, and I don't mean you specifically, I mean people in general, say ROI, I have a feeling there's a pretty good chance they're not meaning the financial measurement ROI. They've associated or tied this to some other success metric. Mm-hmm. And we are not mm-hmm. saying there are not other success metrics. There's not other goals to shoot for. There's not other ways to measure. You know, there's not other measurement in the digital space. But all ROI is a form of me- a measurement, but not all measurement is ROI. That's right. So let's let, let's very clear. We did this before in, in a previous episode, but let's define ROI. And ROI is a financial measurement. It measures the amount of return on an investment relative to the investment's cost. So you know the old formula: ROI equals gain from investment minus the cost of investment divided by the cost of investment. It's a ratio that's expressed as a percentage or a ratio. That is true ROI. Quick side tip, pro tip, when someone says, I'd like to know the ROI of this, verify that that's actually what they're asking for. Because in a lot of cases, now if it's your CFO asking that, there's probably a pretty safe bet that they actually do mean what Chris just defined, you know, the financial piece of this. But when someone says, I want to know what the ROI of this is, they may be looking for some other type of a success metric. That could be something as simple as some sort of a volume you know, metrics, some sort of a trend over time, you know, website visitors and, you know, audience size and things like that. Or it could be more of an engagement standpoint. So it's likes, comments, shares, retweets, you know, people engaging with your content, for example, could be what they're actually wanting to know about or feel like that is a good representation of the time and effort used or ROI actually how much money do we make or how much money do we save based on this effort later on in this episode we're going to be talking with david marlowe who is i would consider him the person that taught me about roi in this space he has been around for many years and we go deep into a variety of different frameworks that you could use around uh, you know these other success measurements but for us today when we talk about roi think about it as measuring the financial return on investment for marketing activities or any kind of activities. Now, Reed, I've been talking about this for quite a while. Um, You know, cue up the ukulele. Oh, can we cut to that in post-production? Well, yeah, listen right here for the (laughs) ukulele song. (laughs) Insert here. Oh, boy. 
When I started talking about ROI, I was doing it really in the context of social media. Today, we're going to extend it past that. But at the time, I looked at a way to measure financial ROI, and I grouped it into three different areas. The first one is around growing volume or doing some kind of activity to actually generate some some kind of return that's a financial return. Patient acquisition falls under this. Mm-hmm. It's like you're doing a marketing effort to discreetly drive some kind of financial return to your industry or your organization. That's probably the most common. When people talk about ROI and talk about campaigns, it's to grow volume of a particular service line. Maybe you've recruited a new doctor, maybe volume is down somewhere and you've got you mm-hmm. know somebody pushing for, we've got to get activity up over here. But volume is probably the most common one. Uh, the other one, obviously, you know, the first one being that you're growing, you're adding to. The second would be taking away to some degree, so saving money. I think you always had a good example of a hospital that had eliminated a print piece being able to do it, you know, on the digital front. So, you know, while, you know, you're not selling the digital piece and you, you can't attribute the readers of this digital piece to actually becoming patients, maybe, or maybe you can but you can attribute to now we don't spend this money over here around the production and, and processing of print piece of collateral. It's like operational savings, right? Looking at a saving on operational side, maybe driving the same amount of volume, but overall your net net is you're making money. You're actually being more profitable, which that really talks about a different approach towards how you look at your financial investment. And the third one is really looking at more of a longer-term play, building that long-term loyalty or even building that lifetime value of a customer or in, in healthcare, a lifetime value of a patient. If we attract a new patient, what does that mean long-term for them engaging with your health system and your hospital system? I had a thought here. So AI, so if you put AI in, you get to eliminate your call center. That's a huge savings. Oh, maybe a little too close to home. (laughs) (laughs) No, we're not, you know, robots aren't taking your jobs, but you get the point. But if you think about it, though, Reed, what's interesting about this framework here about growing volume, saving money and building sort of that long term loyalty uh, clients that are loyal to you. It's really looking at three intricate parts of your business. If you're just driving volume, that makes a lot of sense. But what if your service line is a loss leader, right? What if you're losing money? Would you want to keep driving volume to something that's losing money? So it depends on what it is. Because there are reasons to have loss leaders, and there are reasons that loss leaders exist. They want you to come in for the free appetizer or the two-for-one meal thing because you're going to end up buying other stuff. There's a reason that that works in marketing. And I think from a, from a healthcare perspective, there are certain service lines that from a margin standpoint don't make money, but they get and build loyalty with the system where, you know, ultimately you're going to be repeat customers, so to speak. Uh, mm-hmm. Or it may be that, uh, no, on face value, we don't make any money with this, but we know that X amount of these then lead to this additional type of business. Well, and that's the hope, right? So then if you're looking at something like that, then again, looking across all of these three different areas, growing volume, bringing more people in makes sense. If it is a true loss leader and you do assumptively have that downstream loyalty, you have to measure that though with your ROI measurements to ensure that that works. And along Mm -hmm. the way, if you can find ways to increase efficiency and save money, that will allow you to also kind of cut down on that margin of loss, so to speak. So the three frameworks of measurement that we were talking about 
really try to address the complex picture of financial ROI, right? It's not just one thing. It's not just increasing patience or saving money. It's like all three have to work at the same time. That's interesting. I don't know that we think about it. I don't know that I've really thought about it quite in that way that they're all working together to some degree. I think we look at you know our efforts siloed is, you know, can we tie some sort of ROI to this particular effort? Can I show any volume or can I show any revenue? No. Okay. Well, did I save any money somewhere by doing, you know, you kind of go down the checklist probably. And in healthcare, it gets even more interesting because the cost to deliver care sometimes radically changes for a variety of reasons, right? That perhaps maybe you have an orthopedic center that's employed doctors and you can keep your costs down because it's done in your facility. But you may also mix that with uh, orthopedic doctors that are in the community that are, are part of the network. But by sending patients to that facility, it's actually a higher cost. And so you're not making that much revenue, so to speak, right? So it's not an equal one-to-one comparison. It gets very complex. And then couple that with the change of care models too. More and more care is now going outside of hospitals into ambulatory settings. And when that happens, then your, your cost structure changes. And sometimes the change of that is either in a good positive way, meaning it's more cost effective, or flip side, it could be more costly to do it that way. And so all these things kind of have to be taken into the equation when you start measuring ROI. Mm-hmm. This sounds difficult. Let's just go back to branding. <laughs> <laughs> It is difficult. It really is difficult. We could we could layer on a lot of other things on top of this, but you know, quite frankly, in order to measure true financial ROI, you have to really start to look at the way you're measuring more effectively, and you have to take into consideration all those key things that can contribute to that financial ROI. Given this new kind of lens of this, Reed, as you're you we're listening to this, what do you think the implications are on a, on an organization? around measuring ROI then? A couple of things. I I think primarily, and we've talked about this, and obviously we do a podcast about this. So, you know, the idea that that digital now exists is we have to think about this. And so I, I think we've got to understand that ROI can be calculated against everything that we do. It doesn't mean that it's gonna be good. What does that mean? We have to get smarter about what we're doing. I mean, there's got to be reasons that we do what we do. You know, the, gone are the days that we can just do stuff and claim that we don't know. That's a hard thing to, you know, kind of process around, you know, based on what we've done, historically speaking, I guess. And when we go to the conferences, they talk a lot about ROI measurement. I've seen this a lot in, you know, other people in webinars, people that are talking about tracking ROI, right? And, and measuring ROI. And they're giving you tips and tricks on how to do that. And the thing with it is, is that we do have more and more tools now that are available to help us measure and become more sophisticated. And maybe what we could do is kind of walk through some of those tools. But with that caveat of, if you're really going down that path of tracking true financial ROI, you really want to focus on measuring those things that actually matter. And again, we're not saying don't measure and track and you know other things it's still important to talk about volume engagement uh, and i mean volume in the in the sense of like uh metrics not volume like patient growth you should still do those things um that's not what that's not what we're saying okay so tools the first one to me really 
it hits the nail on the head. And it's the one that a lot of people look at as a silver bullet, which is CRM. If we only implement a CRM, we could start measuring ROI. Because uh, customer relationship management databases or healthcare customer relationship uh, management databases, one of the things that they have to do is they have to tie it into the billing systems. The reason why is because then it gives you a better understanding of the success of your activities. You do something, mm-hmm. you can measure to see if that moved uh, either a new patient or an existing patient to act and actually consume your services. Being able to tie it into billing systems is imperative. And then two, are, what are you tracking? You know, I've seen some right. confusion around the ideas of looking at charges versus contribution margin versus payments. Everybody needs to be on the same page around what it is that we're looking at. And charges differ with the insurances that you're under. It it's, differs under how much they actually collect. You could get really, really weedy with this one. And charges sometimes don't mean anything. I was talking to an organization that their CFO wanted them through their CRM to be pulling in a contribution margin. And they were like, okay, but it's going to look really bad. And there's reasons for that, uh, the type of facility they are and how their funding works. It's a government organization. Anyway, and so they were like, contribution management is going to look, look really bad. And the CFO was like, that's fine. I understand that but I need to see it this way. And so that's fine. Again, that's one of those conversations in understanding, you know, making sure everybody's on the same page. Uh, because for them, charges is worthless. Like it doesn't mean anything. Because well, to, your, me... to your point, I could charge you a million dollars for an MRI. It doesn't really matter because I'm only going to get paid whatever we've contractually worked out with your insurance company. So Charge, collect, what do you actually collect, blah, blah, blah. Let me use this too to also do one little aside that I see a lot of CRM vendors do in this space. And I actually categorically disagree with it. I don't think it actually is a true measurement. We're talking about growing volume. CRMs, if they're tied to your billing system can can track volume however you want to do it charges or contribution margins but there's one thing that's a lot of crms do which is they take credit for all the downstream revenue associated with a new record that may have come in through this one activity so for example you do a mailer let's say to promote awareness around your diabetes center and you attract a new patient in a new record that's in your database And then suddenly the CRM vendor spends a lot of time calculating all the downstream revenue that comes from that one particular uh, initial encounter and ladders up the ROI to that initial effort. So this one diabetes thing may have resulted in, over the course of years, millions of dollars of contribution. Here's the funniest one I've ever seen, and we're completely getting sidetracked here, but I think it's funny. (laughs) Um, The funniest one I've seen was uh, a CRM company. And now this was on a direct mail campaign, not a digital campaign necessarily, but it was a direct mail campaign for a town or in a market or whatever. And I want to say it was a weight loss surgery or something like that. So going through the ROI reports and I was like, I'm almost positive that you can't take credit for this particular piece of the pie. And we looked down and it's circumcisions. They had circumcisions rolled up underneath this report that was like a direct mail campaign for like bariatric surgery. But what were they doing? I guess it was uh, by the household. So they had like addresses. And so obviously right. somebody right. had come in and had a baby 
and the baby now has this address and this direct mail piece had gone to that address. Similar to that, I actually seen prostate cancer screening marketing campaign that actually the CRM vendor attributed a birth to it. So, you know, I mean, these things happen, I get it. But, you know, we have to be very careful when we're looking at how we're using the CRM and Mm -hmm. kind of framing it the right way. And then now we're going to get into some other like marketing tools, right? That in particular digital tools. And this is where it gets a little bit even more tricky. Yeah. So we get a little little nerdy here. So for example, tracking goals or conversions and or conversions in analytics. I would say the majority of folks out there are probably using Google Analytics. You know, what you can do is actually, you know, set up in your analytics uh, different Mm -hmm. goals and then you can track against those goals. And so an easy one, obviously, is, you know, if you think about like an e-commerce site, like maybe you're going online and you're going to buy a pin or something like that. You know, the goal may be that when the registration or when the thank you page generates then it counts that as a sell, right? And so you've set this goal up in analytics to be worth $3. And so every time this page loads, that's $3. So you can do those types of things in healthcare. Obviously, we're not we're not selling stuff on our websites necessarily, but you can do things for, uh, you know, thank you for registering page, uh, you know, some stuff like that. That in and of itself is a really good measurement but you also have to understand what you're doing is you're measuring some kind of goal or conversion from your website to something else. That's not the end measurement of ROI. You can't just take that number and say, oh, we had X number of people sign up for this seminar and adding the contribution mm-hmm. margin, this is the return on investment. You have to follow that through. Well, how many people actually attended the seminar from that mm-hmm. registration? So then you right. have a, maybe a drop off from there. How many of those people that actually attended the seminar led to a follow-up visit? How many of those follow-up visits became maybe clinical management of weight loss as opposed to surgical management of weight loss? Sure. And now you're starting to get more into the weeds around that. If you do this enough, you will start getting some basic metrics in mind that you can start forecasting a little bit around some of that. Mm -hmm. And so you could say, historically speaking, looking at the last three years, here's all the people that attended our seminars and here's how many converted and actually had surgery or had uh, some sort of a medical procedure off of those. And then you can start doing some percentages and then we can say, we pour more money into this, this is what we should get out. And then you can mm-hmm. start working your, your way towards diminishing returns and figuring out you know, where do you stop putting more money into this? So, Well, let's pick the second one, which is also a little bit more easier to, to break apart, which is pay-per-click. Quite frankly, it's like, you know, it's very easy. You could put in tracking codes mm-hmm. on your paid advertising display, whatever it may be, that actually you could attribute now when people click on that ad to them actually taking an action further on. Of course, you have to integrate that with your website. Uh, You want to make sure that your analytics with your website or whatever that conversion point is, is connected. Once you connect those two activities, then you can start to measure actual ROI, right? Actually, no, you can't. What you're measuring is acquisition. PPC is an easy one in the sense that these are easy ways and easy places to put money to create activity that comes back. Then that falls kind of back into that funnel that we were just talking about, which is you actually have to then tie this to some some way to reconcile this. That's right. That's right. So it's not really an ROI measurement. It's more of a 
acquisition measurement maybe. Yeah, I think it's part of that conversation. It's part of the equation in that in that regard. Return on ad spend is a is a common calculation that you want to have in this in this area when you're using pay-per-click because that gives you a more kind of direct of your ad spend is resulted in this kind of activity. All right, let's jump to a little bit one that's a little bit more sophisticated than that, marketing automation. So, marketing automation gets a little confusing. I mean, those people out there that are using marketing automation to just as like a glorified email system, that's a very linear path, right? You, you send out some kind of email communication, you're measuring it, et cetera. But true marketing automation starts to get into processes, starts to connect multiple things together. Things online, maybe someone goes online, takes some kind of action, downloads a PDF of some sort, and then they're on into an email system now that you're kind of communicating, nurturing them, and maybe tracking them every time they come back to your website. And now what's happening is you're developing a more nuanced measurement of all the things that they're doing and maybe even the preferences that they have when they're consuming your content as they're leading up to actually maybe making the purchase or in our case, connecting the care. It's a, a little bit of a different front end to the same mm -hmm. engine, I guess. Mm -hmm. Theoretically, the idea being that you know, having things that are more customized or more specific to individual users will you know, create some, some higher level of affinity mm -hmm. that you can you know, pull people in. I don't know if quicker is really the right word, but you know, in a, in a more thoughtful way. So in this case, when you're using market animation, you start to get into something that I, I would equate it more towards like revenue attribution, where it, it can actually track the various different touch points that are part of this marketing automation system, website, forms, webinars, whatever it is, and be able to kind of give you an estimate as to how much these different channels or these different touch points attributed to the revenue that you actually ultimately gain from that. So in most marketing automation programs that I've worked with, you either have your first touch attribution, meaning you know the, the attribution that you give to that first time that they engage with you, and then you have multi-touch attribution. Mm -hmm. Multi-touch attribution is just where it, it starts to calculate what percentage of all the different touch points in that marketing automation program and, and how much influence each one had that led you to the final purchase, so to speak. Hey, we want to take a moment to thank one of our sponsors, and that's our good friends at Binary Fountain. You know, as a healthcare marketer, it's probably pretty obvious these days how much time you're spending uh, on reviews, ratings relative to hospitals, physicians, all that kind of good stuff. You know, too many of those are going unanswered, and they're certainly not being analyzed. This could be costing us new and current customers. It could be impacting our patient experience scores and potentially impacting our revenue. Luckily, our good friends at Binary Fountain have an online reputation management platform called Binary Health Analytics. If you'd like to learn more or even schedule a demo, visit them online at binaryfountain.com. That's binaryfountain.com. Let's just briefly talk about two others, Reed, or maybe a couple of others, but a website, right? Your website can measure ROI. And what's interesting about the website is, it's okay, we talked about these where you're maybe leading them through paid search to your from a paid ad to your website, or maybe you're driving them from email through and you're able to measure your analytics for tracking and conversion. But there's another component of your website is that it's just out there and it's a lot of people are accessing your website. Maybe anonymous people come to your website determine a doctor, make an appointment off your website to, to that doctor. 
Then now you can start to get into what we call is like organic versus paid traffic. You start to look at referral traffic. You start to get more nuanced with what sources are they coming from. Ultimately, it's the connection to that back end again. It all leads to whatever that financial transaction would be, making an appointment, seeking care, that sort of thing. But your website becomes much more sophisticated too. Social media is another one. Obviously, all these social channels, I say all the social channels, many of the social channels have have insights or analytics as part of their platform, most of which has to do with engagement, how many people are looking at your content, how far is your content making it out in the world, comments and shares and you know, kind of engagement numbers and things like that. But you do have the ability through you know, just, just simple tracking mechanisms to bring people back in to the organization. But now couple it with all these other tools that we talked about, like marketing automation and other things like this, and now you can start to get more nuanced approach. So I have worked with some organizations on building out their marketing automation programs where they're tied into their social media channels. So now if you identified yourself, maybe by taking some kind of offer up front, downloading a PDF or going to a webinar, they can match that to your social profile, pull in that information, and now see if you're going to a social channel, if that is part of that multi-touch attribution, the multi-touch revenue measurement that you're trying to accomplish. So now it gets more sophisticated. When I was first talking about social media ROI, Reed, Reed you were there, the, I think, the first time I brought out my ukulele. I was there. Matter of fact, I'm going to look while you're talking at the date that I posted that video on YouTube. So we can see exactly how far back that was. When I started talking about social media ROI on the stage, and this was at the Mayo Clinic conference, it really, you you saw the room, Reed. The room was not ready to, to process that. People's heads spun when I was talking about this. Mm-hmm. They don't want to equate financial revenue to something like social media. I, th- I still think that even as it's becoming more and more of a paid platform, that it is still something a little bit sensitive to people. Did you find the date? Here it is, six years ago. This is from October the 18th, 2011, at the Mayo Clinic in the Kaler Grand. You really would have thought that at the time I put, actually put up uh, a picture of King Solomon. Uh, I said, I feel like I'm King Solomon when I talk about social media ROI, because everybody in the room was so, on such, you know, they were thinking about it as such a higher, a loftier way. But, you know, when you think about it, organizations outside of healthcare, they look at all of these digital tools, specifically social media, as part of the larger puzzle. To do that, there's nothing wrong with measuring return on investment. I always say, what's the problem? Because really what we want to in this space is we want to provide the best care. We want to build strong relationships with our audiences. But we also all want to be fiscally responsible with the work that we're doing. Harken back an entire episode to marketing communications. Uh, can PR track, can communications <laughs> track ROI? You would have to bring that up, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. When you think about it, I believe that there is some kind of attribution, financial attribution to anything you do. And I think that there is some ways that you could start to measure the return on investment for financial investment for your own strategies, your media strategies. But it's a lot Mm -hmm. different, as we talked about last week, it's a different focus for what you do. Your attribution or your contribution to the ROI may be more correlated than causal. I think most PR firms, uh, PR organizations uh, that I've been around or been involved with will attribute a lot of that to 
earned media values. They're going to come up with what the value of you know getting that coverage is if you would have had to have purchased it. AVEs are not really uh, are not a solid measurement. In fact, even the PR industry got together and they created their own principles about measurement. So those Barcelona principles are a way to actually avoid. They they indicated not to use AVEs. They mm. say AVEs are not the value of communication, and they do not measure the value of PR, nor do they inform future activity. We did a whole episode on marketing versus communications and some of the differences between the two. But let's just put it this way: is that as you're looking at the value of PR from a financial perspective or even media from a you know financial perspective it's a little bit different it's a little bit no, more nuanced and a lot of times you start to wrap in qualitative versus quantitative measurements and immediately just by saying that the ROI the true value of ROI kind of is taken off the table and uh, I think it's challenging the good news is is David Marlowe's interview is going to kind of share a great framework that we can talk about very cool. Well, very cool. Before we get to that, maybe one last thing. How are we tracking it now? How are we looking at ROI now? Well, I would answer that by saying not very well. I, if you really think about it, I mean, we're not as sophisticated in our ROI measurement. Sure, if you hear, you know, you listen to any kind of technology vendor that says they're, they're going to help share ROI, they have the magic formula figured out. But quite frankly, it becomes very complex. And what, what you need to do is you need to start analyzing exactly what are you trying to measure, what, you know, what's the discrete period of time that you're measuring it, and what systems do you need and tools do you need to track that so you can get a more you know, robust measurement strategy around this. Hey, Chris, before we go too much further, jump into this next segment of the podcast, I did want to uh, mention and thank uh, one of our sponsors, Influence Health. Uh, you know, they've got a consumer experience platform that, that covers several things. And correct me if I'm wrong, but we've we've talked about content management systems on this podcast. Yeah, we did. What about CRMs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we covered CRMs for sure. And then obviously each and every week we talk about digital marketing. So digital marketing systems, uh, you know, in one way, shape or form have probably been covered, right? That's right. Digital marketing systems. And I would say that we even talk about it in a way of uh, that overall digital consumer experience. Well, there you go. I, you know, I would I would recommend for anybody interested in one of those topics uh, or anything else. They've also got some complimentary solutions on their website. But but head over to their website, take a look at what they've got and what they're offering relative to CMS, CRM, digital marketing systems. Kind of how all that is woven together in what they call their consumer experience platform. Find your way over to influencehealth.com. Touch point. Touch counterpoint. There are two sides to every story. Ready? Fight! Okay, we're in the part of the podcast that we always struggle with the name, but it's Touch Point, Touch Counterpoint. And we are now going to be taking a, uh, a side of this argument and kind of trying to take polar opposites and argue with each other. Now, Reed, you mentioned the more we're getting into some of these more nuanced topics, that it's getting harder and harder for us to take polar opposites. I think we're going to try to do our best here, but uh, the, the audience listening in, maybe they want to forgive us a little bit. Yeah, it's hard to just, yeah, it's hard to come up with a yes-no argument. But today, what are we arguing? We're going to argue that hospital marketers need to be concerned 
truly concerned about ROI, ROI being the Uber measurement of market. Where do you fall on that side of the equation? You know, I think while important, I think as time goes, we'll see the job as a marketing director morph enough that it's not really going to be a concern. Like we're, we're, we're not really going to have to worry about ROI, like what we've been talking about, the financial metric. I agree that success measurements are important, that we need to have success measurements and figure out we could measure a lot of different things, but we all need to be keeping an eye on that elusive ROI and really looking to see if our efforts are contributing to the bottom line. Because quite frankly, if we aren't, we're going to run into a lot of trouble in the future when we get to a commercialized or a consumeristic model where, you know, we always talk about this in healthcare that consumers are becoming more consumeristic. We have to start putting our, that as our true north in measurement. Yeah, but I think we'll see marketing go the way of uh, experience. So it's going to be more experience-based marketing, number one. And I guess kind of along those same lines, I think we're getting even further down this track of not being able to predict or control what we're paid for our services. Or it'll become very black and white. And again, it'll be back to just kind of an experience-based marketing effort versus trying to grow particular service lines. I don't think we'll be incentivized that way. It's interesting that you brought up incentivization, right? I have known some marketers in other industries that have a comp structure based on how well their marketing performs financially. In this regard, are you suggesting that in the future, marketers won't be under those similar structures? I actually think they will. I think the better we become with our marketing, the more we're going to move towards more one of these incentivized structures where we could track the ROI of our efforts and we actually get comped on how better of a marketer we are. I think it's going to be hard to be a marketing director anymore. There's going to be other components to that. I think you'll see the patient experience part you know, kind of bleed in a little further, including patient advocacy. We're going to be dealing with experience and or people's comments and complaints in the hospital, not just online. Uh, I think we're going to be, you know, driving those interaction points much more than we are, you know, going to be marketing our services. I, I get that. I really do get that. And don't get me wrong. I don't want us to be so focused on that Uber measurement of ROI that we're forsaking the experience, that we're forsaking the quality of our marketing. But I'd like to think as we get more sophisticated in the art side of marketing, that the financial return is going to just increase everfold. I think we should come up with a new metric that correlates customer service level with contribution margin. (laughs) (laughs) Return on experience? Oh, gosh. Yeah. Everybody RSVP now. Chris and I'll be writing a book. And we can say pretty much anything in there because it'll say return on experience on the cover. If you look at healthcare, we are notoriously focused on measurement from a clinical side, from from a variety of different factors within the industry. Mm. I think measurement is certainly going to become more formalized. We're eventually going to build some some structure around how we measure it, maybe even some standardization across the industry. Tools are going to start to align towards that. And, you know, 10 years from now, we're going to have a much greater insight into the effectiveness of what we do.
Welcome back to the Ask the Expert section of our podcast. And today, I am very excited to be speaking with a gentleman that I consider a mentor in certain respects to my learnings in digital marketing and particularly around measurement. And that is the illustrious David Marlowe. David, welcome to the show. How do I follow up on that one? Thank you, Chris. I've known you since the onset of when I started into healthcare and marketing in healthcare. For a lot of people that are listening in today, they may not know who you are. Do you want to do just a brief history of? I have been in the area of healthcare, marketing, planning, business development. Uh, this is this is 38 years. I was going to joke that I started in the Lincoln administration, but I actually did start in the Carter administration. So that gives you an idea of how far back it is. My work is in in strategic marketing. I couldn't design an ad to get out of my own way. It's more in terms of what kind of services should you be in? Who do you orient them to? What are the issues that you're facing and using your marketing resources to deal with those issues? So I've been doing that for 38 years. 10 years were on the hospital and health system side. 20 plus years as a consultant. I was actively involved with Shishmit. I was president 10 years ago. And last background, I come to healthcare marketing in a strange way. My undergraduate degree is actually in accounting. And then I got a master's degree at Kellogg back in the late 70s in, in health administration and marketing. So that was my introduction to marketing was... Now, one of the books I have on my shelf that I'm looking at right now here, David, is a, a book that I, I call it formulative from my experience, which is A Marketer's Guide to Measuring ROI. That was 10 years ago. That was our first intersection, but uh, we've worked together on some strategic marketing projects since then. Today, I would love to talk to you a little bit more about ROI and because I still think that's relevant to our audiences and to people that are that we're talking to. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, one of the first things I got asked in my first job in 1980 was... So so what are we getting for this marketing? And that question still gets asked. I think every everybody on the, listening to this podcast that's in a provider setting probably gets asked that question once in a while. And so that's still very relevant. And, and we were talking before we started. It doesn't really matter whether it's a digital marketing effort or a traditional marketing effort. There's still a huge pressure to measure. If you think about it, particularly with now with digital, you can measure virtually everything that's out there. Tell us a little bit about how you work with hospitals and give them a guidance around measurement. And you're absolutely right. You can measure ad nauseum. Unfortunately, a lot of it probably doesn't have a lot of meaning. One of the challenges we've always had, unlike you know our colleagues in finance, for example, they have third parties outside their organization that tell them what they have to measure. CMS, the federal government, CPA associations, there are, all, there are guidelines. The nurses have legal guidelines they have to measure. Everybody has somebody telling them what to measure, except us. The reality is Jayco does not care how many Facebook friends you have. It would be so much easier for us if the federal government said, here's 10 things you have to measure in marketing. But we don't have that. So we're pretty much up in the air. So the first thing I tell people is that you need to choose metrics that matter. And not that matter to the marketing department, but that matter to the audience that get the metrics. Usually your leadership, your board. You as a marketer may think, and I'll pick on, on Facebook friends and followers as, as an example, you may think that it's, it's absolutely wonderful that you've got 6,000 people on your Facebook page. And, it, yeah, it's, and it's an achievement. But if the board of directors looks at you and goes, so, you've got a problem. 
it comes down to what matters. And there are three categories of metrics in, in, in my way of looking at it. What I call production metrics, marketing outcomes mm-hmm. metrics, and strategic metrics. And to make it simple, production metrics, I don't know, I'll, I'll go old school here. How many brochures did you produce? You know, that's a physical measurement. Marketing okay. outcomes, okay, you had 10 events, that's, a, that's production. A thousand people showed up. That's outcome. How many website hits did you have? How many comments on your Facebook page? Those are all marketing outcomes metrics. Strategic outcomes metrics are metrics that go to where the organization is going strategically. So examples there, market share, volume, new contracts, referrals, and of course, ROI. And to be honest, production metrics are nice. Marketing outcomes metrics are nice. But at the end of the day, the people running your organization really care about the strategic outcomes. And a lot of times organizations have trouble making it to that level, to, to mapping their measurements to the strategic outcomes. So the first thing is, again, choosing metrics that matter again to the audience. And then one of the things I see sometimes is that, and and we're guilty of this as any other part of our industry is guilty, is we get caught up in our own jargon. I think our industry has more three-letter acronyms than I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) We're obviously not allowed to have four letters. Everything has to be three letters. (laughs) But we do that. So I have been in board meetings and leadership meetings where we throw out our own metrics acronyms and people look at us like we have three heads. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the language which needs to be and needs to be explained in a way that the audience getting it understands it. And I know that sounds obvious, but it, it seems to happen all the time. If you're doing metrics, one of the things that I point out to people is you need to keep it current or don't bother. That impacts which metrics you use because some metrics you can literally get every day. And some metrics you can't update except maybe every six months or every year. Your website metrics, I'm, you know, clearly you can get that, if not every day, you can probably get it every 15 minutes in certain cases. Yeah, sure. You know, so you can do that as often as you want. But if you are looking at, I don't know, inpatient market share and you rely on a state database to do that, they usually only update that once every six months to you to a year. So, so you have to take that into account. You also have to, and this goes to how you present it, uh, and I know I'm getting into the weeds a little bit, but not only do you have to not use jargon, you have to present it in a way that's visually understandable. Now, look, you and I have done this for a while. We're the marketing departments. We're the marketing leaders. If finance statements are more visually attractive than marketing's, we've got a problem. And measurement dashboards are one place that I think marketers sometimes struggle with. Why do you think that is? Sometimes they try to do too much. Sometimes the metrics don't change that often. If you go to a typical organizational meeting, the finance reports every month, the bank statements change every month, the investments change every month. A lot of the marketing metrics don't change every month. And if they do, it's not really all that important to focus on them. You've seen this with um, patient satisfaction scoring. Every month, they get organizations get scores and they go crazy because, God help us, the satisfaction on one nursing unit changed by 2%. Now, you know as well as I do, it's going to change back 2% the next month. What I usually advise my clients is you have to understand the statistics. Look for trends. Look for outliers. Look for very significant changes. Small pieces of statistical noise, month to month, quarter to quarter, 
that's normal. I mean, the financial guys don't sit there and go crazy because the interest rate changed by a tenth of a percent. You looked at the patterns and trends over time, and you make your decisions based on significant changes, significant decisions, not minutiae. I guess that's speaking to a little bit of, of seasonality and metrics too, a lot of organizations struggle with that, like looking at the bigger picture versus the smaller picture. Well, that, and that's right? not just limited to marketing. We're not the only ones that have that problem. You're looking at all your website activity. Are there differences by different audiences in terms of what they're doing on the website? Are men doing something different than women? Are younger consumers doing something different than older consumers? Are uh, Hispanics doing something different than others? Those are the kind of things you're looking for to give you an idea of what to do and where to focus. Outliers, significant differentials, patterns over time, not statistical noise. You need to be honest. And by that, I mean, the reality is if you've got a marketing dashboard with 8, 10, 15 things on it, Mm -hmm. sometimes you're going to do well Sometimes you're going to stay even, and sometimes, even though you did everything you should have done, it goes down. I have watched marketing departments selectively hide statistics because they went down. The answer is, okay, why did it go down, and what did we do? What do we do to fix it? Not well. Let's bury it. I get the instinct of wanting to hide bad metrics. From your perspective, why do you think organizations tend to do that? Nobody likes to report bad news. I think it's perfectly natural. But if you're a good manager, I almost feel like I'm doing uh, career guidance here. If If your CEO is going to fire you because the metrics went down for a couple of periods, then you're probably not working in the best environment to begin with. You know, the reality is you set goals, you implement your marketing strategies, you measure the results. If it doesn't measure up to what you had hoped, you go back to see, were you too optimistic? Did something not go the way it was supposed to go? This is all part of the natural pattern, but don't hide it because, you know, the other people in the organization are not stupid. And sooner or later, somebody's going to figure out that you're not telling them what, what's going on. A lot of organizations still still are a little tenuous with, with measurement in, in and of itself that the natural to want to hide or not be so transparent about the work that they're doing or the measurements that they're seeing could be a reflection of sort of an, an insecurity around what they're measuring. I'm not so sure that healthcare organizations are not used to measuring. I mean, 30 years ago, maybe. But now, Chris, I sit in those management meetings and if you, if you look at nursing and you look at every place else, they measure everything under the sun. I think part of it, and, and I'd be, I would love to hear from somebody who's out there in the hospital setting today or the health system setting today, I have sat in those management meetings, you know, where the, where the VP team all sits together. And sadly, sometimes there's a tendency for everybody to gang up on somebody if things are not going right. So nobody likes to admit that things are not going the way they should, but Again, I I think you just have to be honest about your metrics, good, bad, or indifferent. Another thing I think that's important is how often to report. There's a number of factors there. First of all, it it goes back to uh, how how readily available is the information. If your really important information is not going to be available except quarterly, well, then why report monthly? There's also the, the, frankly, there's the resources that are available in the marketing department. And by mean by resources, I'm talking about the metrics don't collect themselves. Even though we're in a digital world, it is a human being that actually goes and gets the information and reports it. 
Uh, you and I just worked together on a project with an organization that's got 50 people in their marketing and digital and business planning and everything else department. But that's not the norm every place. You know, if you're a, an eight or 10 person department and you've got one halftime person who's focusing on the metrics, a halftime person can't do a report every month. Particularly if they're going around and trying to track down all the disparate areas of, of measurement that are not owned solely by the marketing department. Yeah, or even if you do own it, there's there's time involved. There's also what I think is what I would call the patience or the interest of the audience. In other words, everybody wants to see the financial report every month. Does everybody really want to see the marketing metrics every month? Maybe, but probably not. I hate to say that. This is our field. <laughs> we like to think that everybody sits there and hangs on our every word, but the reality is they don't. You know, So maybe every other month is more than enough. Maybe quarterly is more than enough. I, I see organizations that get, give one marketing report a year. That's probably not often enough. I think for most places I work, quarterly is probably a pretty good median. Well, let's talk about the number of metrics. As we, we started this off, there are so many things that you can measure. What are the things that you find to be the most effective things to measure? Let's talk numbers and then effective, if you will. Sometime back about, oh, I don't know, a year, year and a half ago, I was brought into an organization by their board of directors, which is not always a good sign for the marketing department, about metrics. And the marketing department had prepared a dashboard that had somewhere close to 50 metrics on it. And that was just incredible overkill. The board couldn't even begin to figure out which ones they should be looking at. It was only a 10-person marketing department, so they were basically chewing up an FTE plus doing nothing but metrics. My feeling is for a, for a report that would go to a board, to a leadership team, to whoever's running the show, I would use the guideline that I that our financial colleagues tend to do. When you look at a financial report from the finance department to a leadership board, typically, not perfectly, but typically you'll see 10, 12 ratios and metrics. That's not an absolute, but that's that's a pretty typical number. I think that's a decent guideline for a, a metrics dashboard that would go to a leadership. 8, 10, 12 metrics very much in line with the strategic plan of the organization, the strategic direction, very much in line with the broad strategies of the marketing plan. If the organization is very much focused on driving volume to their employed physician group, for example, one or two of the metrics in that dashboard really ought to be connected to that particular area. You know, how many new referrals were driven? I see Absolutely. marketing departments come in with 15, 20, 30 different metrics from their social media pages, from their, from their websites, and none of them relate to the broad strategies of the organization. Yeah, and that's a big challenge. Again, you know, with digital, it increased the amount of things that you can measure. But I think that that could be a pro and a con if you're measuring the wrong things or you're reporting on the wrong thing. Yeah, it, it, sometimes it's statistics for the sake of statistics. Just because you can measure it doesn't mean you have to. Or does it, it actually matter to the strategic direction? 
So those are really a lot of the parameters. You brought up ROI at the beginning. Uh, if you will allow me, I did write that book on ROI 10 years ago, and I've, I've done updates to it since, and I do a lot of lecturing, a lot of work on ROI. And obviously, the advent of CRM systems has made ROI a, a core part of marketing metrics. But one of the things that's my personal soapbox is that ROI means return on investment, which means money. And I see ROI used for everything in the world. Uh, you know, what was our ROI on having a float at the 4th of July parade? If the activity did not generate revenues, then ROI is not the appropriate metric. If your goal is to drive awareness and visibility among seniors, then that's your metric. If your goal is to drive volumes that generate revenues, then we can talk about ROI. But you and I go to the same conferences and there's 150 booths. And I, I remember walking past one and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to mention any names, but it was a company that did the, um, the giveaways that you give away at events, you know, the, where your name is embossed on the cup and the Frisbee and all that kind of stuff. And that's cool. There's nothing wrong with that. But they were talking about the ROI. And I'm sitting there going, really? The return on investment from an embossed Frisbee? <laughs> okay, I, I think we pushed the envelope on that one. Oh, I do want to mention, you know, again, there is no absolute, this is the 10 things you have to measure. The closest thing I think we have, a couple of years ago, Shishmid did have a committee to, to try to come up with a core group of metrics. And we ended up with, I think it was a core metrics of 17 metrics. Back to my point about measure 10 or 12, right? And even mm -hmm. we couldn't get it down to 10 or 12. Shishman published it last year, and it's available on their on their site. I would suggest anybody go take a look at that. And you probably, if you go look at it, you may not agree with all the metrics, and that's okay. But the goal was to say, here's a core group of 17 metrics that we believe you should be doing most of these. David, I mean, we could talk, we talked a lot about metrics today and measurement and ROI, but you are a font of information on a variety of different topics. And we definitely have to have you back on our podcast to talk about some of those others. Be happy to do so. If people that are listening in want to learn a little bit more about you, what's the best way for them to, to learn about you? Shoot me an email is the best way to do it. I respond mm -hmm. pretty quickly to emails. Uh, it is D. M-A-R-L-O-W and the number one, dmarlow1, at ix.netcom, N-E-T-C-O-M dot com. And I will admit that is the one of the most ridiculous email addresses, but I've had it for 23 years. I would not feel bad about that at all. That actually shows some credibility and authority. I mean, you've been around for a very long time in a good way. You know, people tease me that I'm an analog guy in a digital world. But anyway, if anybody wants to shoot me an email, I will absolutely happy to respond. If you Google search me, you'll find information. And um, I have a couple of books and a lot of papers. And so there's a lot of stuff out there. David, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciated the conversation and the, the great insights you shared. Happy to do it. Thanks, Chris. Chris, good news. The healthcare industry now has its own domain name. What? Absolutely. Everybody knows that organizations have .org, education has .edu. Well, now .health is available and quickly becoming the home for all health-related content online. And listeners to our podcast can visit git.health slash touchpoint. Visit git.health slash touchpoint now.
Okay, here we are wrapping up the end of another successful episode. Uh, before we get too far and before we get into recommendations, just a quick reminder to uh, track us down on social media. We're posting a lot of links out there about our end of year survey that's going to go towards our awards. So if you will let us know, there's only a couple of questions. I promise it won't take but just a couple of minutes where you can weigh in on who your favorite guest was, what music you like the best, all that kind of fun stuff. So we'd certainly appreciate that. We'll have in the show notes, we'll be tweeting and posting and all that kind of stuff on how you can get to that. But we'd love your, love your feedback. So recommendations. What do you got yeah. today? Well, Reed, I have been looking for new luggage. I've been traveling recently quite a bit, and you know my old luggage is starting to fall apart. And so I started to take a look at some of the new travel luggage that you could take, you know, carry-on size bags, that sort of thing. And of course, you know, being a digital guy, I started to look at some of the smart luggage that's out there. Some of these could get really expensive. Let's just put it that way. Some of the smart luggage could get really expensive, and I don't know how I feel about like spending that much for a bag. But a smart bag that I found that's I feel is pretty good, pretty reasonable price is the Raiden A22 carry-on bag. It is a, uh, you know, a normal carry-on size bag. It's, it's a hard shell, so it's, I guess, a polycarbonate case, right? So it's very, very hard and, and sturdy. Nice. It's got all the features that you want of a, uh, you know, a carry-on bag, the, the wheels, uh, versatile packing on the inside, a lot of different compartments. It's kind of cool and all that. But the smart features are what's really driving me here, Reed. It's got a couple of things, right? Can you uh, ride on it around the airport? Does it like drive around? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I have seen those, but no, this is not one of those. Um, I want to walk through the airport still. So one of the things is the handle doubles as a scale, so you can determine the weight. Hmm. So you can know when you're packing your bag, if it's too heavy or if it's not, if you're going to get charged a little bit extra. Uh, I think that's kind of handy to have. It's got two external USB ports. So you can always plug in your phone, and you can plug in your traveling companion's phone as well. It has a battery that's removable. You you can actually take that battery and charge it up in between trips, and you don't have to worry about clamoring over that one little plug in the airport lobby. You got it right there built in your bag. And then moreover, and I'm not sure if I'd like this or not, but I think it would be handy, it has an app that you could track your bag via Bluetooth. (laughs) <laughs> so you can actually know where your bag is at. So what do you do if you're like over the Atlantic and you're like, uh, ma'am, my, my bag is not on this plane. Like my bag's not here. <laughs> That's cool. That's very cool. What's it called again? It's called the Raiden A22, R-A-D-E-N-A22 bag. Cool. And by the way, I didn't give you the, the best part of this is it's only $295. Oh, that's not bad. But you, I don't think you could ride it through the airport, so... Well, I mean, you could, I guess, but very cool. Very cool. Uh, mine is, I guess you could use, I probably should have recommended this before now, but it's a website called Moo, M-O-O.com, and uh, it's where I have ordered business cards on and off for years, and they make uh, a number of other products, but their products are, are really, really nice, really, really high quality you can get the embossed, you can get the foil stamped, the whole deal. But you do business cards, postcards, they do stickers, specialized business cards that are square. You know, you can do flyers, cards and invitations, all kinds of fun stuff. We started with them years ago on a thing called mini cards. It looks like a stick of gum. They're about that, that 
kind of, I guess, aspect ratio. And so notice they've started carrying some notebooks and stuff like that. But anyway, really cool stuff. You can actually use them for your Christmas cards and upload some, some photos. So you can upload your own designs. You can use their kind of online design tools. You can use some of their pre-designed templates and things like that. But really, really nice stuff. Really, really clean and, and uh, high quality uh, products. Moo dot com m-o-o.com cool yeah cool cool so, cool awesome that brings us to the end uh thanks again everybody for listening uh if you haven't go out and rate and review us we'd certainly appreciate that this christmas season and we've got just a couple of more episodes left this year we'll be off to 2018 so take that survey we, we want to hear your feedback for chris boyer i'm reed smith and we'll see you next week